So this is the story of Easter and how divine love can never die. So Jesus was sent to earth very long time ago and he was sent to teach all the people how to love with divine love, how to love God and how to love all people. And everybody loved Jesus and what he taught. He taught people how to open their hearts. And many, many people came to listen to him talk. Everybody loved him, except the most important people in the church. And they saw Jesus, and they saw all the people who came to see him, and they did not like him at all. <laughs> then there was Palm Sunday, which was a day when Jesus came to Jerusalem, and there were hundreds and hundreds of people along the path. And Jesus came on the path, and he came on a donkey. Ananya, come on down, come down here. He came on a donkey, and it was called Palm Sunday because all the people on the sides of the road put palm fronds, leaves, on the ground so that his donkey wouldn't even get his feet dirty. And all the people were listening to him talk and listening to Jesus talk about divine love. And the most important people in the church were watching this. And they said, we don't like this. Everybody's listening to Jesus. What if they stop listening to us? What are we going to do? And they thought about it. And they had an idea. This is what they did. They captured Jesus. They nailed him on a cross. They put him in a cave. And they put a big rock in front of the cave because he was dead. And then they went. That took care of Jesus. He wasn't going to talk anymore about love. He wasn't going to have all the people listening to him. And so Jesus was done. Except he did have a small group of friends. His, the best friends. They were the ones who really listened to him. And they tried to find divine love in themselves. And there was a small group of them. And they knew that Jesus came to bring this teaching of love to the world. He was sent, and they knew it. But now, he was dead. And they were all hiding in the house, not knowing what to do. And they, one morning, Mary Magdalene, who was one of the best friends of Jesus, the disciple, she went early in the morning. She wanted to go where his body was. So she went there early in the morning, and she got to where his body was, and the big rock was moved. And she looked in the cave, and there was no one in there. There was just the cloth that he had been wrapped in. And she quickly ran back to the house where all the disciples were hiding. And then she knocked on the door, and they opened the door, and she came in, and she, they said, she said, they took away Jesus' body. He's gone. He's not there in the cave anymore. And immediately, they all ran to the cave. They wanted to see for themselves. And they looked in the cave, he wasn't there. And they all went back to the house to hide. They were afraid that they might get hurt too. But Mary stayed at the cave and she cried and cried because Jesus was dead. She cried so much and she looked in the cave again and this time there were two angels in there. And one of the angels said to her, why do you weep? 
Why are you crying? And she said, because they've taken away the Lord and I don't know where they put him. And then she heard somebody and she turned around and she saw at the entrance of the cave, there was a man standing there. And there was so much sun from behind him, she couldn't see who he was. And the man said, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she said, oh, if you work here, are you a gardener? Do you know, did they take Jesus away? Where did they put him? I will come and get him. And the man said, Mary. And she looked more carefully, and it was Jesus. And she, she said, oh, Jesus, you're alive. And she, he said, yes. Go back to the house where all the disciples are hiding and tell them that I have risen and that I will come and visit them soon. So she went back, she went back and she told them the whole story of the angels and that Jesus was alive. And they all sat in prayer and they were in silence and then all of a sudden Jesus came. And he said to all of them, he said, peace be unto you. And they felt this wave of peace come over them. And they felt their hearts reopening. Now they knew that he was alive. And Jesus said to them, just as God sent me to change the world by teaching about divine love, so now I want you to go through the whole world and teach this about opening your heart and feeling divine love. And so they did. They traveled all over the world, and now they had power of Jesus. They had the faith. They had the love. And so it is. They traveled the whole world. And even now, on Easter, we celebrate the fact that divine love can never die. Thank you. Well, good morning. Happy Easter, Buona Pasqua. I don't know how you say it in Spanish, but Shama, how do you say it in Spanish? Buona Pasqua. So, and I don't know if we say it in Hindi. No, we don't say it in Hindi. <laughs> okay. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste, Jesus. <laughs> Okay, well, welcome everyone on this glorious morning, and it's, we're so happy to have friends and families, visitors and guests and children and flowers and sunshine on this beautiful day. So I'd like to start by reading with you, for you, with you, uh, a beautiful selection from, by Swami Kriyananda, Ananda's founder, from Rays of the One Light, and these are comparative passages from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita, as Paramahansa Yogananda explained the similar teachings beneath them all. This is called Resurrection for Every Soul. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, we read the inspiring account of Jesus' resurrection. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, 
and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. The resurrection of Jesus, doubted by many, but affirmed by those who were close to him, was a miraculous event, though one not unique in history. For many great saints of other religions have appeared to their disciples after death. Sometimes their appearances have been as that of Jesus was, in flesh and blood form, and not only in vision. Paramahansa Yogananda relates in Autobiography of a Yogi the account of his guru, Sri Teshwar's resurrection after his earthly passing. Miracles of this type are revealed only rarely to the masses, but accounts of them, related by men and women of reputed truthfulness, have inspired many devotees with faith in the reality of subtler than material states of existence. Resurrection, Yogananda explained, means transformation, ultimately from any lower state of being to a higher one. Worldly consciousness cannot imagine such transformation except in terms of perhaps an improvement of the present mess of pottage with the addition of a new flavoring. Divine consciousness, however, is capable of taking the base metal of worldliness and transforming it into the spiritual gold of divine wisdom and love. In keeping with this truth, the Bhagavad Gita in the ninth chapter tells us, Ah, ye who into this ill world are come, fleeting and false, set your faith fast on me, fix heart and thought on me, adore me, bring offerings to me, make me prostrations, make me your supremest joy, and undivided unto my rest, your spirits shall be guided. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, friends, and also good morning and happy Easter to those who are watching online. Normally, we read from a book of prayer demands by Yogananda, but I thought I would prefer this morning to read uh, from an Easter letter that he sent out nearly 100 years ago. Easter may bring lilies, bunnies, and eggs for you to celebrate Christ's resurrection, but I pray that the lily of Christ's wisdom grow in the garden of your soul that you taste the sweetness of Christ's love in your heart, 
that you enjoy the infinitely colored egg of true happiness, and that, like the fast-footed bunny, may you quicken your pace toward your divine home. So whoever decorated the altar tuned in to <laughs> Yogananda. But fortunately, he didn't leave it just there, so let's go on. I want you to pray to Christ the following prayer in the secret temple of deep meditation. So please close your eyes and pray this with me as I read it. Thou didst resurrect thyself from the bondage of flesh, karma, ignorance, and reincarnation. So inspire us with thy invisible wisdom that we may know how to resurrect the divine image within us from the confinement of sense lures, from the miasma of doubt, resurrect our vision into the region of invincible understanding. From the atmosphere of mental smallness, teach us to resurrect our large-heartedness in the kingdom of love to all. From the darkness of delusion, resurrect us into the sphere of thy lambent Effulgence from race and class prejudice, teach us to resurrect our spirit of brotherhood into the oneness of universal union. Bless us, O Christ, that from this moment we use our inner sense to follow all the mental, moral, and spiritual laws by which we can resurrect our souls from the enthrallment of cosmic delusion into the everlasting freedom of God contact. Beautiful prayer. So, Yogananda talked about resurrection quite at length, and interestingly, he defined resurrection as any beneficial change. So, obviously, we tend to especially on Easter, equate resurrection with the resurrection of Jesus's body from apparent death to life, which people would say is a beneficial change. <laughs> but he said that any beneficial change is a small resurrection. So we go through resurrection after resurrection after resurrection. In fact, one could say that basically the whole of the drama of life is resurrection, change, beneficial change, a movement toward, um, one might say, the depths of ignorance to union with the universal consciousness that has created everything. So there's, one of the great mysteries of the world, of creation, is this kind of dance between permanence and change. Now, anything in form tries to hold on to that form. It's just part of the way that creation has been made. But change is constant. So there's this dance between the permanent and the impermanent. And so, you take, for instance, the chair that you're sitting on. If you look at it, you see a wood. A little while ago, that wood was a tree, 
and that tree was trying to hold on to its form as a tree. The life force in it has that natural tendency, but now it's resurrected into a different form. Now, whether that's a better form or not, at least the tree is released its life force to evolve into a better form. And so the water that is here, I'm going to drink a little. That water is going into my body, into my cellular structure, my blood, my brain, wherever it goes. But probably not too many years in the future. Um, the body and the brain and the blood, that's going to change. It's going to be released again. But this water and the energy behind it is permanent. See, the energy is always permanent. The form that it takes is not permanent. So who knows what this water was in the past? Maybe there are molecules of this water that was part of the water that Jesus turned into wine. And then that transformed again, and it went into the water system, into the streams, into the ocean, became a cloud, rained on the earth, and somehow ended up in our well down, or in the fractures of the earth, and we drew it up on our well, and here it is again. But this constant movement of change, but any beneficial change, produces, as Master said, that's resurrection. And so, you know, the physical world is not all that important to us. We can understand intellectually that, well, things transform and one thing becomes another. But much, much more important to us is the change of consciousness that goes along. And that was the drama of the life of Jesus. So there was a certain world consciousness, and I won't go into it, it's not the time for it, but those of us who follow these teachings know there's a great cycle of movement of consciousness from, low, from high consciousness down to low consciousness and back up to high consciousness. Jesus came at a time when the consciousness of the world was very low. And he was bringing resurrection of consciousness. He was bringing a new form to it, as uh, Tim so beautifully stated in his story. Jesus was bringing the consciousness of love, the consciousness of unity, into a world that was very divided and very form-oriented and very realistic in its worship at that time. And quite frankly, not even that. It wasn't the, the, the priests that were resistant weren't even doing that. And Jesus in his last week, if you read the Bible, my oh my, did Jesus have a week, you know? <laughs> we heard about the triumphant entry that he came in riding on a donkey. All of that was predicted in the Bible. So he did that as part of the fulfillment of prophecies that were in the Bible. He said, I came not to um, kill the prophets, but, but as a fulfillment of the law and the prophet. 
But then he went and he drove the money changers out of the temple. He told them they couldn't sell the sacrificial animals. And the, obviously, as you heard from Tim, the hierarchy of the church, the priesthood, didn't, didn't quite take to that so well. So, and he called them a bunch of hypocrites, liars and hypocrites. So they came and they tried to uh, trap him. And so they said to him, um, so where does your authority to teach come from? Thinking, well, now we've got him because we didn't appoint him. None of our people appointed him. He doesn't have any authority. Why is he saying these things? Jesus said, tell me this, where did the authority of John the Baptist, where did his authority come from? Now the priests knew that John was very, very popular. So if they said he didn't have any authority, they were in trouble. If they said, well, he has the authority from God, um, they were in trouble. So they didn't quite know how to answer that, so they said, well, we don't know. And then another one of the lawyers came and said, um, do you uh, deny that we should uh, follow the law and pay our taxes? Because, of course, the Romans were in charge of things. And again, trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus said, give me a penny, which they did. And he said, who is on this penny? And there was a, you know, imprint of Caesar. He said, well then, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but render unto God what is God. And after that, they didn't ask him any more questions. <laughs> but the point here is that he came, his whole life, he came in order to challenge the form that needed to change. And as I was saying, that which is in form resists change. And so in this case, the consciousness, the form of the consciousness was resisting change. And as Tim said, they, the only way that they could figure out how to deal with this was to crucify him or to kill him. But, but the, now the deeper resurrection always has to do with consciousness because resurrection of the form, that just constantly goes on. But change can also be uh, not beneficial. So there's a law of entr entropy, meaning that Master said you can't stay still. You either are evolving or you're going backwards. You can't stay still. And so you, we've got to put energy into the growth of consciousness. There's a law of entropy in nature that says that that which is organized gradually left alone becomes disorganized. Uh, meaning if you have a brick house, if you don't repair that brick house, gradually it will fall apart and go back to the dust, the clay from which the bricks were made, which is a less organized form than the bricks and the... And so with us, if we are our organization of our consciousness is to become more 
aligned with the laws of the universe, more evolved in our understanding of life, more expansive in our love and our brotherhood. And all of that, if we don't put energy into that, it will begin to devolve into hatred, into violence, into um, lower consciousness. And so we have to keep putting energy into our spiritual life. And so Jesus came in part to show us how to put energy at, at, the, uh, at the time he came, the appropriate way of putting energy into our spiritual life. And part of the thing that got him in trouble was because religion was primarily rule-based Moses and the Ten Commandments was primarily rule-based and ritualistic at that time. He was trying to replace that way of worship with love and acceptance and joy. And obviously the priesthood was threatened by that. And so they tried to stop him. But now in our age too, a new way of worship has come because what what our age is, is an age of energy. And so what the teachings of our path and the appropriate teachings, not only of our path, other, it's all God. It's all God carrying on this drama. And so if, if we claim that we've got the only teachings that are right, we're no better than the Pharisees and the Sadducees or whoever they were. That, that were the hierarchy at that time. It's all God playing out his drama. But and in this age, there is a new way of aligning our consciousness with that of God. And primarily in this age, master and the great masters are trying to get us to see that behind the form is something that's more permanent. Beneath the form of this table is the energy of the molecules, of the atoms, of the, of the, the essence by which this table is formed. And so the teachings of our path are largely trying to get us to see behind the form and the attachment to the form that we find our consciousness is in. See, our soul is permanent. It's a part of God. But it goes through many, many, many forms. And every time it's in a form, we try to hold on to that form. When we were a mosquito, when we were threatened, we tried to buzz away. And, and save ourselves, and then eventually that, and we have gone through many, many, many forms until we find ourselves here, which is, that's, as I said, just part of the way nature is. But for us, if we are too attached to the form that we're in, then our consciousness can't evolve because we become body-bound or, or caged, as Yogananda said, we become caged in the delusion that we're the body. And so 
one of the things that Christ and the resurrection was meant to do was to show at that time, but it needs to be shown again and again and again, that when the body dies, the consciousness does not die. And that, one could say, that is the great fundamental fear of the universe, that if the form goes away, then I go away. Whatever ego, whatever ego consciousness, the I consciousness, that's in that form, the great fear is that if this form dies, then I die. And the more body-bound we are, the more we suffer from that. And so one of the things that needs to transition at this time is for us to pull back from seeing ourselves only as the physical being, the body. And so the techniques of our path, we have several techniques whose primary purpose is to help us feel ourselves as energy, not as form. So we have energization exercises. When we do those, don't just do them mechanically, or even worse, don't do them absent-mindedly, thinking of what you're going to have for breakfast while you go through the mechanical motions. That probably will help your muscles a little bit, but it won't help with the purpose of, find, of really understanding that you're not physical form, you're energy. And if you can do, get move along to the understanding that your body and your cells you're, are made of energy, then Yogananda said, you're, you're immune from disease because energy can't get sick. And so if you can see yourself as energy, then you won't get sick. And so he, he said the energization will help give you health. Well, we're on the pathway to trying to do that. But the point here being that when we do our techniques, and the techniques of meditation are the same, one of the prime purposes is for us to see ourselves as energy and not as form. What happens when that does? All the way back in the Bhagavad Gita, teaching the same techniques that we use, the techniques of Kriya, Krishna said to Arjuna, even a little practice of this inward religion, meaning understanding ourselves as energy, not as physical forms, even a little practice of that inward religion will free one from colossal fears, the primary fear of death. Colossal fears and uh, dire. dire fears and colossal sufferings. So as we see ourselves as energy, then we begin to dissipate the fear of death and the fear of, of other things like disease. And so that transformation of consciousness, that in part was why Jesus needed to demonstrate the, through resurrection that what he said and his teachings were immortal. 
because probably if the resurrection hadn't happened, Christianity would not still be a vibrant force uh, 2,000 years later. But, but it is, of course. And so that really that resurrection, remember, beneficial change, that beneficial change of consciousness has to continue to go on and on and on as we evolve. So it's, it's partly the practices of our techniques, but it's also our mental states. Because if we can understand that we're more than just the outer body, more than the form, then our consciousness becomes uplifted and begins to cooperate with the laws of, of the universe and the laws of health. But if, if we think that we're the body, then dire fears come back in. Yogananda told an interesting story, parable, said there was a great saint who lived in a little village and he put his protective aura around the village. And the angel of death came and said, there is a smallpox ep epidemic that is going on and it is time for um, the, some of the villagers to um, get smallpox and die. And the saint said, well, I'm, I've put my protective aura around this village. You can't take anyone. And the angel of death said, well, let me take just three to um, fulfill the, the law of karma. And the saint said, okay, I'll allow you to take three. And so in the next few days, three people died. But then more people died, and more people died, and pretty soon, like a hundred people in the village had died, and this upset the saint. And so he called back the angel of death, and he said, you've gone back on your, pra on your promise. He said, all these people have died, and the angel of death said, no, no, I did exactly what I said I would do. I only took three people. The others have died because of their fear. They've basically killed themselves. And so, see, our consciousness has to evolve away from the consciousness of I am the body, therefore I am vulnerable to sickness. Yogananda said that many, many times people have an illness and, and they're done with the illness and the illness exits but because of their fear, because of their concern, they draw that illness right back to themselves. And it isn't even their karma to do that, except it's their karma because they haven't evolved. So all of this resurrection, this gradual evolution, is meant ultimately to move us along to the state of Christ consciousness. Now the state of Christ consciousness, the consciousness that Jesus had, is beyond all forms. Because Jesus knew that he was nothing other than the spirit that has created all the forms. And therefore, he came into this world to help lift consciousness, to demonstrate the truth of what he was saying, and to help us 
begin to understand that all we are, are is an extension of God. So we have to extract ourselves not just from this physical form, but from all other forms, and to see that we're nothing more than the consciousness of God, and that consciousness is imbued in every form in the very atomic structure of creation, or the lifetronic structure of the astral world, and the thoughtronic, these are terms Yogananda said, of the causal world, that it's all just God playing in various forms. And when we see, not just see, not just intellectually, but know absolutely that our form is nothing other than God, then how could we ever die? How could we ever get sick? How could anything happen? So that's what Jesus came to demonstrate to us. And all great masters are demonstrating the same thing. I'll just end by saying that Master said that the greatest miracle of Christ, for those of you who haven't heard this before, you, you won't be able to guess it. You'll think, well, healing the dead, walking on water, uh, curing the blind, certainly those should qualify as the greatest, or maybe the resurrection itself. That should qualify as the greatest of all miracles. Yogananda said, the greatest miracle of Christ was when he was on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said, because the normal reaction to violence, especially directed toward oneself, is anger back and a push back toward that. That's what we're seeing in the world today. You know, death, anger, warfare, um, everything. So much of what's going on is negative reaction to negative force. What Christ was doing was to, and his greatest miracle, was to react to the greatest possible negativity with nothing but love and nothing but universal brotherhood, nothing but caring. And so that, above all, is the Christ consciousness that we should all try to emulate, especially in these times. God bless you all.